The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return to the book of Acts this morning. Go to Acts chapter 8 at verse 4, and we'd like to continue to expound on this and the standard that was set by the original church of a excitement and a zeal and a desire to share the gospel and to just share the joy of the witness and the testimony of God's grace and blessings in their life with the people they came in contact with. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, and that needs to be read in conjunction with verse 1, that they were scattered except the apostles. So those that went everywhere preaching the word were not the ordained preachers. They were just the happy, joyful excited rank-and-file members of the body of Christ who were excited to have received a message that they were saved by grace alone. And um, I think that we need to spend time meditating on this. Uh, I'm not in a hurry to rush through this because this is one of the most important things that we need to be taught on in the Word of God to understand what evangelism looks like, okay? Because evangelism, both the preaching of the gospel publicly by those that are ordained, God has ordained that uh, the preaching of the gospel is the means by which he saves those that believe, not to heaven. That's not the means by which we are born again. It's the means by which life and immortality is brought to light and it's manifested to those that are already in possession of that but the church does not grow and the kingdom does not expand solely by a ordained minister preaching publicly the way that god has ordained for his church to grow and for his kingdom to be expanded is us in our daily lives just discussing the blessings of God with those that are in our close proximity, okay? Now, there are open doors and there are opportunities to talk to strangers and and have platforms to share God's Word with a broader, uh, a broader group, but the general disposition, the general disposition of the expansion of God's kingdom is just simply us following the wild Gadarean command in Mark chapter 5 to go home and tell your friends and your family what great things the Lord has done for you. That is what evangelism looks like. And it's simple. It's simple. God's made everything in his church simple, right? Uh, He knew us, no offense, dumb sheep, need things simple, right? Because otherwise we're going to get confused and we're going to make bad decisions. We need things simple. God made uh, the church simple, the worship simple, the practice simple, uh, the gospel of salvation by grace alone is very simple. And actually, evangelism is very, very simple. 
because we're already natural evangelists. All of us are already natural evangelists, especially to those that we are close with and those that we are in close contact with. When something good happens, you all have a bubble of people that you are close to that when something good happens that you're excited about, that you're thankful about, you're already going to immediately tell that immediate group of people. That's the way God wired us, right? We're, all, we're wired to evangelize. <laughs> the question is, what are we evangelizing, right? And um, I think we just need to have a better understanding of that <clears throat> from the Word of God and follow the example of the primitive original church that we're just so excited and so thankful. The church that was in their first love state that literally everyone they came in contact with they had the blessed privilege of saying, have you heard about the resurrected Jesus Christ? And unfortunately, that has not become the pattern that we have followed in the primitive original church. And we need to do our best to reclaim our roots in primitive evangelism. <clears throat> so uh, this morning we want to focus on three aspects, three specific aspects of evangelism and the first of those being just living a life that is a godly witness living a life that exhibits the light of christ in your life that adorns the gospel of jesus christ and letting your light shine in such a way that people see you as distinct from the world and then inquire about the reason of the hope that's in you. <clears throat> and then the second aspect of evangelism is relationship evangelism, those which we already have a relationship and a friendship with that we trust and that they trust us. Those, especially in our family and our close friends, those are the people that we already naturally discuss the things that are the hot topics in our life that we're excited about, that we, we already already naturally evangelize those people anyway. We just need to have the gospel at the forefront of our mind. And then the third aspect of that is sharing the good news with people that we don't know as well, maybe even some strangers. And when we see God's blessings in our life, those things should just cause our cup to overflow. <laughs> And as our cup overflows, then everyone we come in contact with should get a piece of that overflowing, right? Uh, it describes, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it describes the admonition to the Old Testament Hebrews, but it certainly applies for us today in our command to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He says, teach them the word of God. Teach them the word of God. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you go by the way. And what he's saying there is that just the, in the normal, daily, mundane functions of daily life, you discussing God's word with your children, particularly there in the context, should just be a normal course of life, right? Just in your daily activities, when you're going about uh, running errands, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you're chilling in the evenings, a, a normal disposition of your life and interaction with your children should be discussing God's word and God's blessings in your life, right? 
Now, it's very evident that that command does not cease <laughs> with just your children. No, that is, that is just the normal discourse and the normal disposition of our entire life, right? As we go about our daily activities, those that we come in contact with, we want to discuss God's blessings. You know, um, I have a mortgage. You probably have a mortgage too, uh, or at least some debt to pay. Everybody owes somebody something. And, um, you know, mine's on auto draft. So if I got a notification from Quicken Loans that, hey, uh, my auto draft went out and we're actually returning this amount to you because your mortgage has been paid, right? If some amazing benevolent, uh, benevolent benefactor wanted to pay off my, which, you know, if anyone's feeling the spirit of charity, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I'll give you my loan number, you know. Uh, but if, if anyone uh, did that and paid off a huge, massive debt for you, you would be so excited about that that you not only would, boy, you'd, you'd call your spouse, you'd call your family and your friend, you'd call the people that were close to you, but, you know, that would change your disposition when you went to work the next day. That changed your disposition when you went to the grocery store and uh, you'd be walking around so many thousand pounds lighter, so many thousand dollars lighter, right? Why? Because you were excited because I had received this amazing gift that I didn't deserve, and I'm just so excited that not only am I happy to tell everyone I come in contact with about it, but also it's changed my disposition. You know, if I, if I was concerned about uh, financial considerations and now all of a sudden that financial burden has been lifted, uh, there should be a lot bigger smile on your face the day after that than the day before. And that's just a very simple example that if we, if we receive this amazing gift of generosity and grace, we're going to tell other people about it because we're so thankful, because we're so excited about it. But then you multiply that simple scenario times, times a billion, and we're 10,000 talents in debt, as we've been told in, uh, in Matthew chapter 18, with no ability to pay. And then, then you find out not only was it paid, but it was paid by the one that you deemed to be your enemy. Right, and then it, I used to have some pre uh, some uh, preconceptions about my enemy, but now my mindset has changed. I'm a, I used to I used to maybe uh, talk negatively about that person to other people, but now I'm going to go tell those people. And I was wrong. I was wrong about that person. I used to talk bad about why because he paid off a debt that I could never pay. And any of us that first week that that debt was paid, boy, we'd be telling everybody about it, right? Well, we'd be excited, we'd be happy. You'd be, you'd be talking to strangers in the line at the grocery store that you never met. Why? Because you're just so excited and so thankful. But our nature, you give it a week, you give it a month. But that second month, you start to take it for granted, right? I mean, that, that, that amount of money that I used to have to pay uh, toward that debt, now I'm thinking about what I'm going to do with all this extra money. And... The second month rolls around, the third month rolls around. You're not going around telling everybody else about it. No, you're just, you're getting used to being debt-free, right? That's just the way we're wired. And that's why so, what we see in the book of Acts is there's so many people that are coming from the, the lady that washed the feet of Jesus Christ that was very very scandalous, very um, 
publicly known as being an ungodly, sinful lady. And I think it was Simon there that he said, you know, whispered to people, uh, so Jesus supposedly couldn't hear him. Oh, if he really knew what she did, there's no way that he would let her touch his feet. And what Jesus says in that context there is like, essentially, the summary of it is that who is going to love somebody more? Somebody that's been forgiven much or somebody that's been forgiven little? And what he says there is that she loves much because she has been forgiven much, right? And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of how much we've been forgiven of because our nature is to take things for granted. And we've just got too used to grace. It's just the reality of the situation. We've got too used to grace. But I'll tell you, these people in the book of Acts, they, weren't, they hadn't had enough time to get used to it yet. <laughs> they hadn't had enough time to get complacent. They hadn't had enough time to get lukewarm. But what's so sad, one generation removed. Those people that grew up in the church. You know, these are people that, that came from the background to this. And they were just so excited that they couldn't, they couldn't contain their joy. But then their kids grew up in the church. Their kids heard that all of their life. And then what happened one generation later? Those were the people in Laodicea that were lukewarm. Those were the people in Ephesus that had left their first love. So really what much of this boils down to is we just need to have a renewal of the wonder <laughs> of how amazing grace really is, right? And the only way you can be renewed of the, of the wonder of amazing grace is be reminded what a wretch you are. Oh, I'm such a, I'm such a wretched sinner. I don't deserve anything. I mean, we're not, we're not even talking about eternal salvation. Yes, I don't deserve eternal salvation, but I'm not worthy of the least of all the providential blessings that God gives me. So the testimony of my life should be bragging on the Lord all the time because I don't deserve, grace is unmerited favor. I don't deserve anything that I've received. And if when you have that perspective, that kind of thankfulness and joy and gratitude will be exhibited in our actions and it will come out in our speech. It will. Because all we're called to do, you're not called to go to seminary, you're not called to, you need to, you need to study the Word of God, you need to grow in it, you need to uh, have a desire to be progressing. There were some people in Hebrews that were said you should have got to the point where you're being teachers, you're still babes, you need to be growing and progressing. But you're not required to give a doctrinal dissertation to people. The only thing you're required to do is, as it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard, Right? We're just called to be a witness. And I believe that your witness and your testimony of your life is a testimony of grace. I don't know of any of you that if someone asked you for a summary and a witness of where you got to where you're at today, I know you well enough to know that your uh, testimony is not going to start with, I did this. I uh, studied hard enough. I worked hard enough. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I got to where I'm at. No, you're going to say, you know, I'm a broken vessel and the Lord bless me to be where I'm at. I mean, think about people that, uh, 
Um, say the Lord providentially protects you in a car wreck. I don't think too many people say, you know what, I've been training for that my whole life. I mean, all of those uh, video games I played when I was a kid, I was getting my hand-eye coordination ready for that split second to make the exact right decision. No, you're going to say, man, that could have been so much worse. But by God's grace, I was blessed to be protected even when I was maybe driving a little too, maybe I passed when I shouldn't have Maybe I made a bad decision, but God blessed me in spite of it. The testimony is a testimony of grace, right? I was in a, I was in a health situation, and I didn't just decide uh, through my own grit and good decisions that uh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be healed. Now, the Lord uses modern medicine. Praise God for that. But your testimony should be, God bless me with this healing, right? That's the testimony we all have anyway, right? I don't know of any of you that are going to say the only reason that I'm where I'm at is because of me. No. I think we have enough humility and understanding to say, no, the only reason I'm where I'm at is just like the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. I like more abundantly. I mean, yes, praise God, you've been diligent, but you can't even take credit for that. God worked in you. The grace of God, every, your entire life is a testimony of unmerited favor where you realize it or not. We just need to realize it, right? And have a joy and an excitement to share that with other people. Okay, so, so where does this start? Where does it start? And I will say these three aspects of evangelism, they build upon one another and, and all of the interactions with our loved ones or even with strangers are null and void without a life of godliness that exhibits the truth that we profess, okay? Because when you share with others the good news that God uh, has blessed you with, with my understanding of Scripture, but also these providential blessings that God gives me in my life, no one will take you seriously if they know that you do not live a life that exhibits and backs up what you're telling them, right? And we already kind of use this language anyway. We've been talking about a witness and a testimony. Well, your life should be a godly witness. You understand, right, that through our daily actions, every single one of us are preaching a sermon every single day. Every day we're preaching a sermon. And the question is, what sermon does my actions, the way that I interact with other people, the New Testament calls it my conversation. So I'm just talking about verbal conversation. Now that's a big part of it, right? Um, you should not he addresses this in James. You should not uh, bless God with the same mouth that you curse men, right? That, that's, that's contradictory. That's, that's hypocritical. And it's a very sobering thought to think, based on other people's interactions with me throughout the course of daily life, especially those that I'm closest to, my family, my friends, the people you're in close contact with, your, your coworkers or people that you see regularly in other functions, what gospel 
What good news? What message? It may not gospel's good news. It may not be good news to them. What message? What message are my actions exhibiting and preaching to the people around me? Now, let's take a negative, an extreme negative example. <laughs> um, what message? It wasn't good news. Uh, what message did the actions of the Pharisees exhibit to those around them? Legalism bondage, pride, and not just pride elevating themselves, but, but devaluing people who they perceived were not as, as holy as them. So what was the uh, message that was delivered by the Pharisees? Well, there wasn't much good news in it, right? They, they saw their actions and people viewed them in not not a godly light, but just a fearful light, right? They, they were just terrified of them. So what does our actions exhibit about the truth that we profess? You know, we're called in a Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. What does the Lord require of us, right? What does the Lord require of us? Do justly, but also to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But to love mercy. To love mercy. Uh, most of Christianity believes in a conditional gospel. Right? Conditional gospel. If you do this, God's willing to do this. Now that's true in discipleship, right? If we live obediently, we're going to feel the manifest presence of the Spirit. If we don't, we're going to receive chastisement. But in the eternal context... The majority of Christianity says, if you do this, God's willing to give you the ticket to heaven. If you don't, he's going to send you to hell. So does our actions exhibit a conditional gospel of love or unconditional love? <clears throat> Let me read Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 first. We need to make our way to Matthew chapter 5 and some other places. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 sets this tone. <clears throat> Only let your conversation, and that means the manner of your life, the totality of the actions of your life, not just the words that come out of your mouth. The words that come out of your mouth are very important and an important part of that. But the totality of your life, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So when people interact with you, do they see someone who's harsh and legalistic and uh, maybe a little haughty? Or do they see someone that's humble, that loves mercy, that wants to exalt others instead of debase others? What's the gospel? Well, the gospel is unconditional, unmerited favor that we don't deserve, right? So do my actions exhibit unconditional love? Or do I act just like everybody else that I'm willing to be nice to you as long as you're nice to me, but the one time that you get a little huffy, the one time you get a little rude with me, I'm dishing it right back and I'm, and I'm dumping double on you. That, that's how the world acts, okay? Our manner of life should exhibit grace and mercy let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of christ whether i come or see you or be absent that i may hear of your affairs 
that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And boy, it's a really special thing to see an entire body of believers that are all striving together with a desire to show unconditional love and forgiveness to others. I believe this is very clearly exhibited in Matthew chapter 5. He discusses here, let your light so shine, okay? People will see the light, which is in clear distinction to the darkness of this world, and those that are seeking something will gravitate to that and have a desire to ask you a reason of the hope that's in you. But listen, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, let your light so shine before men, and notice this, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. There, there is actions that exhibit your light shining, right? There are actions that they can see that are contradistinctive to what they see in other people. So then we get later in the chapter, and he says, look, you've heard an eye for, a t- eye for an eye, you know? You punch me in the nose, I'm going to punch you back. No, I'm for self, self-defense, right? But we're supposed to show charity to those who treat us disrespectfully. And if you do, well, you want to talk about letting your light shine and shine and, and being distinctly different from even the carnal Christians in this world? Because the carnal Christians are going to act just like everybody else, right? They go to church on Sunday, but they don't have deep convictions that change the way that they live, okay? So he says, look, Verse 44, love your enemies, (laughs) bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So if you're in the workplace and you're being falsely accused, hey, stand up for yourself, go to HR if you have to. But when people are yelling at you without just cause and then you respond with grace and with humility and you do not, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath and you respond in a godly way when other people are acting like fools. People notice that, okay? And then not only do you you respond appropriately in the moment, but you say, Lord, bless your heart and I'm going to pray for you, you know? And by the way, just in case you need anything, you know, I, I I like this story, um, you know, because I'm, I would probably have a difficult time doing this. One of the fire, um, was that a fireproof? Mm-hmm. Uh, fireproof. Anyway, the one, uh, the Kendrick movie uh, with, uh, I can't get it right now. Anyway, the guy who stole the drugs, if you, if you happen to have seen it. But the guy who wanted him fired, the guy, he turned it in. He, they ended up not forgiving him. Um, but he, he's driving uh, to this event and he sees the guy who wanted him to go to jail with the flat tire. And you know what he did? He didn't say a word to him. <laughs> he went in there and he changed his tire and he shook his hand and he left. And that guy, his jaw dropped, right? Because that's not how people act, right? If, if someone wants to th- throw you in jail, which is justified, like he, he should have went to jail for what he did, okay? So he's not wrong in doing that. But he exhibited the love of Christ in that moment that this guy who wanted to throw me in jail, I'm going to do the right thing 
to him, even if I know if the roles were reversed, I know there's no way he'd do the right thing to me. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? If those roles were reversed, they would have left that Samaritan down the ditch and he would have died. But the roles were reversed, and he said, you know what? I'm going to do the right thing, even if they don't do the right thing. <laughs> there's a reason why that guy in that movie, why his jaw hit the floor. Because that's not how people act, right? People don't really love their enemies. Not really. I mean, we may not be as vitriolic to them as they are to us, but I mean, people don't go out of their way to show unconditional love to people who have it out for them. But when you do that, <laughs> if God gives you the opportunity to do that, boy, that is an amazing testimony of the uh, and, and when people ask you, why in the world would you have done that? You have the now the blessed privilege to say, because I was an enemy of Christ and he reconciled me and he showed this grace to me that I didn't deserve. And now I have the blessed privilege of exhibiting that gospel by showing that same unconditional love to other people. You know, when you do that, now all of a sudden it gives you an opportunity to tell other people about it. And it says there in the next verse, in verse 45, that men may know that you are children of God. Well, how are they going to know you're children of God? Because you are acting so much different than everyone else around you, okay? <clears throat> First Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15, now understand the immediate context of this is persecution, okay, and being called up in legal charges, really, just for believing in Christ, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. But I think the, the lesson applies here uh, broader than just defending yourself in a court of law, okay? First uh, Peter chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 14. But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer some degree of persecution. It may be, it may just be snickering, it may just be rumors, it may just be not being invited to something. Uh, but all all disciples of Christ that are living godly will have some degree of persecution for Christ's sake. And he says, sanctify, set apart the Lord in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer. Now, again, the immediate context of this is that in this day, Satan and his henchmen were so vitriolic, they didn't have First Amendment religious protections that we have in America. And there were many times, we see this all throughout the book of Acts, where disciples of Christ were called up to have to defend themselves in a legal proceeding because of them believing in Christ. And he said... Be ready, study, sanctify the Lord in your heart to give a reason, a, a, a reasoned, logical, articulate defense of the hope that is in you. Now, why are they having to give an answer? 
The reason is because it's evident that, but through your actions, that there is a hope that's in you, right? And if we exhibit that godly manner of life, then they don't have any true reason to accuse us. And at the end of the day, they may be ashamed that they have to do that. We see that with Jesus, right? What they have to do? They had to get people to lie. I mean, he was perfect. He was uh, the only thing that he, he was justly condemned <laughs> as declaring to be the king of the Jews. I mean, that's why he was killed, right? He declared to be the king of the Jews. The Jews rejected him. And his only crime was being truly the king of the Jews. And they rejected him. And they put that above his cross. What was his crime? They put it above his cross. He was the king of the Jews. And the, and the Jews rejected him. That was his only, but they had to cause men to lie. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts. Everywhere, we see that with Stephen, they had to cause men uh, to perjure themselves and to blaspheme to come up with anything because there was no, the you know, description of Stephen, who was ordained as a deacon there, he was full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. He was a godly man. There was no, there was no uh, skeletons in his closet that they could dig up. The only thing they could do was lie. They did the same thing with the Apostle Paul. Every time he was brought up on charges, the only thing they could do was lie. And then uh, most of the time in those instances, especially with Paul, <laughs> the, the, uh, the person that was presiding over that trial, they had enough sense to say, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. He's innocent. <laughs> and they let him go, which actually Pilate said the exact same thing, right? Pilate was ready to let him go. He said, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. You're, you're contradicting one another. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. Instead, he just caved to the, caved to the political pressure. But a pilot was ready to let him go. So if enough people lie, you know, you, you can't, they can't uh, coordinate their stories well enough for them to be coherent, right? <laughs> Three, four or five people start lying on you, it's going to become evident that they're all just making it up because it doesn't make any sense because you can't coordinate lies well enough. <laughs> So if we just live a godly life, if people accuse us, that's okay. That's okay. Why? Because the Lord will allow us to be defended because of our godly manner of life. The Lord will defend his, his children that are serving him, okay? He's, he is well equipped to defend us against false accusations. It's not our, uh, not to say that you don't, try to correct some degree of false information, but it's not, your, it's not your burden and your calling to correct every misconception about you. No, turn it over to the Lord. He knows how to defend me. He knows how to uh, defend the righteous, okay? But I want you to notice, there is something about the manner in which you're, you're acting different than other people to where number one, in this context, you're being called up on legal charges but number two, people are asking you. <laughs> now, in this context, they're asking you to try to accuse you in a, in a legal proceeding. But if you let your light shine in this world, there will be people that are attracted to that light, that will inquire. Because there are many lukewarm Christians that, and this is why it's so important, this is why it's so important that we are not hypocritical in the faith that we profess and the lives that we live. 
is because many people don't take Christianity seriously because of lukewarm... That's why the Lord wants to spew lukewarm Christians out of his mouth. Because it compromises the truth and the integrity of the whole church. When someone lives an ungodly life but stands up and wants to act holier than thou, that they're a good godly person, but you know that they live in all this ungodliness on the weekend, but they give the pretense of religion on Sunday, that's dishonoring to Christ, first of all. But it, 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 it undermines the whole church. It undermines every Christian. That's why the Lord is so hard on lukewarm. It makes him want to vomit because it compromises the integrity and the witness and the testimony in the community of the whole church. Okay? <clears throat> and as we look at the original church, there were a lot of people that didn't like them. Okay? Because they, they were stirring up all the cultural norms like they were challenging the authority of the Pharisees they were literally turning the world upside down and the people who like the world <laughs> right side up from their perspective they don't like it when it gets turned upside down right but there's a lot of people that don't like that but here in Acts chapter 2 we find in verse 47 all these daily activities they're engaging in but notice their reputation in the community praising God and notice this having favor with all the people. Having favor with all the people. They, they saw the integrity of these Christians' lives and they believed that their manner of life backed up their profession of faith in Jesus of Nazareth who they're saying was crucified. Now, if someone like Simon Magus, for example, in Acts chapter 8, who lived a very ungodly life but gave pretense of being converted, if he comes and tries to share um, the gospel with you, well, he has no credibility because of the ungodly life that he lives apart from a fake profession there in Acts chapter 8, okay? But this original church, though, even though there were many people that didn't like them, they did not have anything, they could not say anything negative about them. Why? Because they lived a very godly life that backed up the faith that they professed. Um, we want to go, Lord willing, in some later messages, look at some specific interactions. I, I don't believe we've left our, ourselves enough time to tackle some of those stories uh, of those that were so excited about a, a, uh, the gospel that they, the blessings in their life that God had given them and their excitement to share that with those that were close to them and even those that they did not have a relationship with <clears throat> those who were strangers um, I want to highlight a few different verses and maybe give you maybe give you a verse or two to meditate on as Lord willing we can continue this thought um, in uh, in first Timothy he's describing the ministry obviously Paul's writing to the young minister Timothy 
tells them in the fourth chapter that you need to be an example. You set the standard. Be an example of the believers in word and conversation, right? Not just in verbally, but in the manner of your life. You set the tone in word and conversation and charity in spirit and faith and impurity. And he says in the previous chapter when he's describing the qualifications for the ministry. And this is not just, this is certainly true of the ministry because people are not going to take the church and the ministry seriously if uh, they live a, a very hypocritical and ungodly life. But this is true of all the church, okay? This is one of the qualifications to be considered to be ordained as an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay? He needs to have a good reputation among believers, right? Among people in the church. But he needs to have a good reputation in the community. I mean, just to be practical, you can't be a dishonest car salesman, right? And be ripping people off left and right. Be a modern-day Zacchaeus, <laughs> modern-day publican, and then people want to come, you know, you, you rip them off when you sell them the used vehicle, and then you say, by the way, I pastor such-and-such such church. We'd love to have you come on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, that's destroying the reputation of that church in the community, right? No, you need to be honest, right? You, people don't need to see you closing down the bars on Saturday night and then say, oh, we'd love to have you come and worship with us tomorrow or today after midnight on Sunday. I mean, that is, first of all, it's dishonoring to the name of Jesus Christ, okay? Let's get down to brass tacks. That is dishonoring to Jesus Christ. He says uh, in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stand sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, but we're thankful for eternal security. Praise God for that. But let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Everywhere we go. You know, we didn't the original church did not take the name of Christians upon themselves. That was a title that was given to them by a third party. Why? Because those were the people that were always talking about this guy in Christ. Other people, a third party gave them the title of Christians. Everywhere we go, we carry the name of Christ. And boy, that's a sobering thought that really needs to sink into our soul. Everywhere we go, every action we undertake, every, every time that we get frustrated with someone in traffic or at work and we act just like everybody else, we are carrying the banner of the name of Jesus Christ. And the question is always, I, this was so um, watered down and popularized back when I was in school, but, you know, it's something to think about. WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Okay, well, in that moment, what would Jesus do? Now, understand, you're not Jesus, you know? Is it possible these people are whited Pharisee, whited sepulchers? Yeah, it's possible, but you don't have the right to call them that, right? So there are times that Jesus, he, boy, he called people on the carpet, right? He called a spade a spade. He didn't just pat people on the back and made it, make everybody feel warm and fuzzy. But the majority of the time when people, when Jesus was interacting with people that were struggling, he showed compassion 
and mercy and grace and love, right? So in that moment, in that moment when somebody's unnecessarily saying things about you in a situation that are not true, do I have to sink down to their level to defend myself? You know, okay, what would Jesus do in this moment? (laughs) What would Jesus do in this moment? He would respond with love and with mercy and with kindness. And when you do that enough, when you do that enough, people take notice. People take notice. And again, this is a phrase that's become very popularized in Christianity today, but it's it's also a true statement. Um, You may be the only Bible that someone ever reads, right? You may be the, your actions may be the only sermon that anyone ever hears. Okay, well, if that's true, that's true, what sermon is being preached by my actions? What Bible, you know, do, do, do my actions exhibit if, if just their interactions and their, their um, conclusions of Christ and Christianity are based on my interactions with them, would their conclusions be accurate? Would their conclusions be accurate? It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought for me because I'm ashamed to say that many times my actions don't become the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know what the standard is and we certainly need to do better. Um, I would encourage you to go. <clears throat> we want to spend some time in John chapter 9 and see the witness of the blind man you know, just tell your, tell your story, tell your story. And every one of you at least has this story. This is who I was. This is who I am now. And the only difference is Jesus Christ. I once was blind, but now I see, right? John chapter nine, John chapter one, we see Andrew. We found the Christ. He goes immediately and tells his brother, right? His family, people that are close to Philip. He goes and finds Nathaniel, his close friend. I love the account in uh, Mark chapter 1. There's a leper that's, that's cleansed. And Jesus says, don't go tell anybody. <laughs> well, this is one command of Jesus that that leper just couldn't obey. He went and blazed abroad the whole matter. Why? Because he was healed of his leprosy, right? He was just so excited, he couldn't help himself. Find the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. Again, we found that she just... She was speaking to people, those men, you know, she was a very um, bad reputation, especially among men in her community. She was talking to people who she should not have even been talking to, but that, that social barrier was removed because she said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. This is the Christ. This is the one we've been looking for. And she was afraid to, uh, she, was, she was not afraid to break societal, cultural barriers and do something that to many people would be deemed inappropriate because she was just so excited that I've seen the Christ, you see? So these people aren't um, standing on on street corners and giving people uh, in-depth theological doctrinal dissertations. No, no, just share God's blessings and grace in your life. And and just, we sang it this morning, but just meditate on the song, the Lord has been so good to me, right? 
count your many blessings, name them one by one, meditate on those things, and I think you have a tremendous package of information, a, tr a tremendous amount of witness and testimony that you have the opportunity to share with people all the time, right? Because God has been so good to us, amen? God has been so good to us, and we don't deserve a lick of it. It's a testimony of grace. It's a testimony of unmerited favor that we don't deserve. And it is our joy and privilege to brag on the Lord to those that we come in contact with about how good he has been to us in our life. Well, we sure are thankful for providential blessings, but ultimately he saved us from our sins by nothing more than his free and sovereign grace. And we have the joy and privilege to tell other people about the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not that you've got to do something or God's going to quit loving you and cast you in hell, but that if this message means something to you, that's an evidence that God has already loved you and he's already born you again. Now come and, and experience joy and peace and happiness with, and love with us here in the church and in the kingdom of God. You see, evangelism is just that simple. And that's our command. Just tell people, come and see, come and see. And I hope, by the way, the other aspect of this, when people walk in the doors of this church, and I believe they will, they will see love and joy and peace. They, they won't see bickering and disunity. No, they're going to feel loved. And the reason that I believe that they will is because I trust that we are exhibiting the love of Christ to everyone that comes into our community of the church. We certainly hope that they feel that way. And if the Spirit of God is abundant, they will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.